I want to apologize to Dawn and to um, Shirley this morning, as uh, this message actually uh, has come out of a, a devotional that we did at um, the uh, chapel service we have every Wednesday in our offices at the uh, Advent Christian General Conference headquarters. And, and I tell my, my staff when I'm asked to do chapel that I, I work on them first. And if the material looks good enough, it may find a second life. And uh, this is a, a second life, uh, bleeding in, or breathing into this devotion, maybe some uh, now bones and flesh and sinews and all that good stuff. But the beauty of it is it's, uh, it's based on God's word. It's, it's not something that, um, you know, it's just an idea. It's, it's really God's word. And I want us to give thought and, and attention to God's word. If you want to join with me, I'll be reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And again, in respect for, the God, for God's word, let's stand together as I would uh, lead us in this reading. Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you. Please be seated. Every time I read this passage of Scripture, and it's a familiar story probably to a lot of us, particularly if we grew up in Sunday school and and saw all the neat little things that they did with flannel graphs to to show this story, I think of an experience we had in Honduras um, I was asked to preach one evening in a church, and when we had gotten there, there was a crowd just surrounding the church, and we couldn't hardly get in. The doors were blocked, and, and once we did get in, people were hanging in the windows, and the place was packed out, and I was just stunned by what was happening. And as we were making our way through the group to get to the front of the church, the friend I was walking with stopped me, and he says, we're too late. I said, what? He said, we're too late. I said, what do you mean? He says, look up. And I looked up, and there's this huge hole in the roof, big enough to let someone down on a mat, to be in the presence 
of the congregation. And I was thinking, did we miss it? Was Jesus already here and we missed it? But uh, it just brings back memories of, again, of of the attraction that, that God himself can create as he's among his people. So let's just, I'm not asking for the roof to open up or anything here today because it's raining outside, but let's just assume that God could also uh, make his presence known among us this morning. I like this story for a lot of different reasons. Um, I find in it some similarities that I think point to what the church is and what the church could be. And I think it also is applicable to where we are in our walk with Christ himself. We've got a group of, group of men, and I'm, I'm taking from the text it's probably more than four, because if you look at verse 3, it says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. And that word, of them, suggests to me that there's got to be more there than just the four carrying. Uh, we don't know how far they traveled. We don't know if they were in Capernaum or were in a nearby village. But we know it took at least four people to carry this man on a mat. And maybe because of the distance and the others that were accompanying him, they had to trade off because of the distance to be traveled. But these guys were on a mission. They wanted to bring healing to their friend. And they knew about Jesus. And their one mission and one mission only was to get this guy to Jesus. That's all they wanted to do. Now, what they didn't realize that by doing that, not only would they recognize the, feel, the physical healing, but they would also witness the spiritual healing at the same time. The ministry objective, this thing that they wanted to do, however, was hindered. And again, if you just read through the text, you get the feeling of what was going on. They were hindered by an uncaring, a non-responsive group of people who had assembled outside this, uh, this house. Um, they didn't care about these guys. They weren't giving a whole lot of attention. They were focused on what was inside. And it's interesting that this non-responsive, uncaring group of people were so focused on Jesus, they didn't recognize the need of the one who was trying to get to him. They were physical, material, social, religious obstructions that posed barriers, things that stood in the way of these men wanting to accomplish accomplish their mission, simply to get their friend to Jesus. So many things to overcome. Now, the main concern of this whole story, I think, is quite quite obvious. (laughs) The paralytic needed Jesus. There's also, I think, another piece of it that we have to recognize is that this paralytic, this cripple, he needed some people to care about him in order for him to get to Jesus. There are people around us we encounter day in and day out in our work world, in our family, in our neighborhood that need Jesus. And you know what? they might be in need of us helping to get them to Jesus. For him to see Jesus, his friends needed to join troops. They needed to to come together. It wasn't going to be one dragging the stretcher through the streets of Capernaum. It was going to take more than one. It was going to take at least four, and we, again, read from the story, probably more. 
they needed to help each other so they could help their friend. And again, something to consider. Those that are around us that need Jesus may need more than just one person to help them to get to Jesus. I read a statistic one time of where through the studies of the outreach of the evangelistic church, it typically takes five and a half contacts with the gospel before someone will surrender their life to Christ. So think about that. You're praying for somebody. You're, you're thinking of someone who needs Christ. And maybe there's others that can contribute to that effort to bring your friend, your neighbor, your family member to Christ as well. It's interesting that for the work of the church to be accomplished, it means the cooperation of many. It means working together. It means more than just one set of hands. And I think that that plays out in what we're trying to do here as a church to reach our community. It isn't going to be the work of one. It's going to be the work of many, focused and committed to the sole purpose of introducing people to Jesus Christ. They, they came upon a situation that wasn't all that, um, I guess, encouraging. But they chose to press forward anyway. I mentioned earlier this non-responsive, insensitive, insensitive, unmovable crowd that, that was gathered that day. If you want to, call it a congregation. <laughs> People who were gathered on Jesus, not sensitive to what was really happening just outside the door of where Jesus was present. Our exercise of faith sometimes requires us to look beyond the needs of our own faith. Sometimes we have to be, I think, reminded that there are people who have not yet found the faith, and they're not that far out from where we have assembled to be practices, practice, practitioners of the faith. But they pressed on, these men. They pressed on knowing that, that what was going to be required of them would probably be unconventional, uh, non-traditional, maybe even a, a sense of unacceptable. Now think about it, what they did. They tore a guy's house apart. I don't think the homeowner was real excited about the party that day. And, and think about this as well, of what was required of them. They weren't making a manhole just to slip this guy down through and plop him in front of Christ. They made a hole big enough to accommodate a twin-sized bed to bring him down to be in the presence of Christ. And, and, I, and I want you to also get the picture of how disruptive this is. Because if you re read the passage, what do you find? You find these... these um, these men steeped in the religious tradition, sitting very close. To, those are seats of prominency. Those are seats where, you know, the, the, the elites sit. And they were sitting there in the presence of Christ. And all of a sudden, this roof comes apart. And what's coming out of that is that this debris that's falling, this dust, this dirt, and everything else that, that's created by making a hole through a ceiling that's at least two feet thick. In the times of Christ... The roofs were made with rafters kind of on two to three foot centers. And then a lattice work would go across perpendicular. 
And then they would put some more sticks on top of that. And then they would put earth. And sometimes they would even plant grass or some type of foliage on top to make certain that the root bed itself would hold that, that, that roof together. Now, do you get the picture? It was, a, it was a mess. The roof was coming apart. And it certainly disturbed those who were close by. This caused a disturbance. This was upsetting. It was troubling to those who were sitting near the front in those seats of, of importance. And we hear the rumblings within, these, these self-righteous, religious, traditional leaders of the practice faith of the day. You know, sometimes when we really go out on a limb for Christ, it may disturb some people. <laughs> it may upset some folks. And, and maybe, maybe there's even some grumbling beneath their breath. Maybe they're talking about us behind our back. At whatever the cost was, the guys didn't give it a thought. They had one thing in mind, get our friend to Jesus. And I'm convinced that that's, that's got to be our mindset. That's got to be our heart. As we really do have a, have a concern for those that we love that don't know Christ, we, we might be so radical as to create a little bit of a disturbance over it. We, we might be so bold, we don't care what people say about us. <laughs> we just want our friends to find Jesus. I think that is the call for the church today. I think that's the call for each and every one of us today. At all costs, in the name of Christ, because we love him first and we love others, bring him to Jesus. The words weren't spoken, but the critics certainly made it known that they weren't happy. But because of the faith of these men who brought a paralytic to Jesus, they and all the people that day witnessed the power of Christ. <laughs> They'd only, they didn't only see him stand up and walk. They heard something else that was much, much, much more powerful. Your sins are forgiven. That's the power of Christ. Yes, it's miraculous to see a cripple walk. But the greater miracle occurred through what Christ did for us. That our sins are forgiven. No matter how crippled we are, no matter how bent out we are, no matter what bad shape we're in, no matter what bad circumstances we come out of, the miracle is we're healed inside and out as we surrender ourselves to the presence of Christ. They saw a healing that day, and they witnessed the power of Jesus, the Son of God. Now, I want you to notice something in the story of what Jesus says to, to the paralytic. He says, after saying, get up, he says this, go. Now, think about that for a minute. Get up. Go. Does that, does that resonate with you at all? Isn't that the Great Commission? Go. Now, Jesus could have said, if he was maybe like some of the rest of us, now that you have been made whole, sit down. Join us. Become more like us. 
enjoy this holy huddle with me. And, and we, we, we gravitate to people in the name of Christ of wanting them to somehow include them with us, with us, with us. And we enjoy that fellowship, but we forget the one commandment that Jesus is giving right here, and he gave his disciples. Get up and go. It wasn't to sit down and relish the moment. It was for him to go out into the world and be a witness of what Christ had done for him. If you remember the, do you remember the story of, the, uh, of Legion being healed? This guy who was possessed with evil spirits, Jesus delivers him of all these evil spirits, and, and everyone's just amazed. And they find this man sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus gets up to what? He gets up to go. And he walks down and he starts to get in the boat. And this man who has just been healed in his right mind and fully clothed, he runs to Christ. And he's ready to climb in the boat with him. And Jesus says, no, you can't go with me. You go home and tell others about what God has done for you. That's the command. As we go, we go with Christ. As we go, we go in the name of Christ. As we go, we go with the presence of Christ. But we need to go into a world to be a demonstration of Christ's love and the healing that's taken place in our lives and to love others as we have been loved. I liken this event to be very similar to what I think Jesus is asking of each of us. We in faith, first working together and not trying to do it all alone, are in a position to bring to a paralyzed and a crippled world an image of a Christ that heals, restores, and makes whole and saves. We, as Christians, will face those obstacles sometimes that appear immovable, We, as Christians, will encounter those groups, those congregations of folks that sometimes are insensitive. We, as Christians, could be challenged also by all the things that represent the status quo, the traditions, all those things that define the moment. And it may require us to do something radical. Radical to shake our world with the love that we have found in Christ, to invite those who are crippled by this world to discover something much, much better. This is a perfect example, I believe, of what the church should not be as what I also believe the church should be. I I have to tell you that I have had the occasion to be in the congregation of churches who don't want to grow, who have no desire to reach anybody else because they're really happy where they are. There isn't room for churches like that in this world. This church, any church, is a place where you and I and others like us congregate together Because we have been rescued. We have been saved from a crippled world. And just as we've experienced that healing touch of Christ, physically possibly as well as spiritually, there are many, many, many more like us who need the same. This church 
as Jesus was talking to, to those four. Because of your faith, because of your faith, this cripple has been made whole. Because of our faith, we can do something in the name of Christ to touch a crippled world. Jesus can commend us for our faith, as few as we may be, to literally change a community, a neighborhood, a city, a nation, a world. <laughs> because it's not us doing it. Doing it, It's Christ just simply feeding off our faith in him. That's, what, that's, that's all that's asked of us. As few as we may be, <laughs> coming together in the name of Christ to address those things that sometimes appear impenetrable, resisting everything about Christ. But because we are determined, we bring people to him. Just recently, we've gone through an exercise at the office of laying out our strategic plan for three years. We know what we're going to do over there across the street. We got it down on paper. And I can give you point A, B, C, and all the subpoints after that. Leadership development. We're going to train leaders. That's one of our jobs. Plant churches. That's one of our jobs, to go in the world and plant churches. But the fundamental piece that defines that plan for all of us, and I believe all of us here in this building and every one of our churches, is simply this. Love the lost. <laughs> That's in the plan. To enable each of us, no matter what station we hold in life, to recognize that we have a responsibility in the name of Jesus to love the lost. And, and that isn't all that difficult because some of the people you know you already love might be lost. Now, that's, that can be split, explained on paper. What can't be explained on paper is what we do as a church when some of those lost people come to join us. That's when we have to be ready. Let me read you just something else here real quick. It's it's the same verse that we found in Mark, but it comes out of Luke 5.26. It came about as a group of unnamed unnamed men acting up upon their faith. Uh, Let me back up. It says, we have seen remarkable things today. We have seen remarkable things today. Church, aren't we in the mood for seeing some remarkable things? (laughs) I believe we are. And I think Matt, our pastor, is leading us in places of where we can see some of those remarkable things. And you know what could really be remarkable? That this church be so moved to touch someone who is lost and bring them into the fellowship, not so they can sit here in our holy huddles, but so that the very next day they can go out with us and bring others back and keep on bringing people to Christ so that they can also go out and bring more people to Christ. That's what discipleship's all about. We disciple to disciple disciples. The miraculous work Christ did that day was accomplished by just a few men and it's interesting, no names attached to these guys. Do you, know, do you know who these guys were? I don't know who they are. Do you know who they are? I don't know. There's no need to know. The only thing to know is that they were faithful. And you may go out tomorrow and you may share something with somebody that has maybe for the fifth time heard something about Jesus and you're the other half. So five and a half because of you, that person is attracted to Christ. 
You may be the first person to ever speak Christ into this person's life. You may be the first of four and a half others that are to follow. We don't know what's going to happen in that person's life. All we need to know is we introduce Jesus to them. We introduce Christ to them. We love them as Christ loves. And just as these four men did that day, leave the work to Jesus. It's that simple. It's that simple. So I charge you that we be a church acting in faith to do one thing and one thing only, bring people to Jesus. Amen.